Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of another day of life, Lord. A day in which the sun rose so beautifully, Lord. In which the warmth of that sun, Lord, is warming the ground and warming our hearts. Lord God, we pray that you would speak today. That you would reveal yourself, Lord. We pray that you would that you would be the one who proclaims this sermon, Lord. That you would be the one who speaks deep down into our hearts, Lord, and reveals yourself to us. We pray that you would give us faith. Give us the ability to believe in you, Lord, to trust in you. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would blow powerfully in this place. Lord, that you would restore our hearts. That you would restore us, Lord, just as you restored that valley of dry bones and you brought them back to life and blew your spirit into them. Do that today for us as well. We pray for your grace, your mercy, and that you would be visible today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so awesome to see you all this morning. Now, some of you or none of you or all of you might be following the NBA playoffs right now. If not, we're going to be talking about it a little bit if nobody's up on it. Well, as you know, uh, or might know or don't know, uh, the Golden State Warriors are in the playoffs right now, right? You heard of them? That's right. Yep. And they're our team. Well, we got the Kings in between us and them, but the Kings aren't in the playoffs, surprisingly. And so uh, the Warriors, we should all be pulling for those guys because they had an amazing season, right? They set the season record for most wins in a season. Isn't that amazing? Right? They beat the Bulls, right? The Bulls that were, you know, at least my team growing up when I was a kid, like nobody beat the Bulls, right? And yet now the Warriors have beat their record. Now, as you might know, the Warriors are led by a player who looks like he just graduated high school or middle school. Right? I mean, Steph Curry is, they call him the baby-faced assassin, right? Because he looks like a little kid, but he will tear your heart out on the court. I mean, he is so good. He's a sweet guy, too. Calm, usually. Collected. But he will shoot a three-pointer that is like a dagger to your heart, right? If you're the other team. Right? Because he is just ruthless with his ability to play the game. So uh, last year he was the MVP for the league. This year he was the MVP again, but this time he was um, unanimous. Everyone voted for him. Everyone voted for Curry. Um, so he's the first player ever to receive the award unanimously. And he's fun to watch too, right? If you've seen him, I mean, he plays, he dribbles. People come to watch him warm up, right? That's how good he is. People come before the games to watch Curry warm up, just to watch him dribble, just to watch him take shots, just to watch him make passes. He's that good at the fundamentals of the game that just seeing him do those fundamentals is entertaining. Uh, So he makes spectacular three-pointers, acrobatic layups, amazing passes like behind his head, not even looking kind of passes. Uh, He's amazing. And when he's on the court, his teammates play better. They all look better. Everyone looks better when Curry's out there, except for the other team. (laughs) But despite all this, in 2012, no one expected much of him. He'd been in the league for three years. Um, But he had suffered a lot of injuries during that time. And he'd been a decent player in those three years. But he had had a a long slew of ankle injuries. And he'd had surgeries. And people were concerned that he was never coming back. 
And so when the Warriors signed a contract with him in 2012, people were advising against it. They were saying it's better to stay away from this guy. Like, don't have him on your team and don't extend a contract with him. Needless to say, it was a good decision, right? Because he's now got, I mean, he's like a bargain, the contract he has, and he's the best player in the league. It's phenomenal. We have been able to witness the amazing work that Curry has been able to do on the court. He has transformed the game and shown us, shown us all um, just what is possible. Which takes us immediately to the Holy Spirit. Of course it does, right? I mean, need I say more? We'll get to that. I'll get to the connection later on, right? But last Sunday, we celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit at the Feast of... Pentecost, good work. Now, Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of the promises that had been made since the Old Testament, particularly in the prophet Joel, that God would pour out his Spirit upon all those who belong to the Lord. Not just upon, in the Old Testament we saw the Spirit often appearing on somebody for a specific thing, right? The Spirit would fill Samson so he could like knock down a temple. Or the Spirit would fill Moses so he could lead the people. But the Spirit seemed to appear on specific people for specific... It's easy to say, right? Specific people, specific times, right? It was, this, it was a limited in how much we saw the Spirit in the Old Testament. But at Pentecost, we see the Spirit poured out on all those who follow the Lord, not merely on the leaders or those given a specific task. But of all the members of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I would posit that the Spirit is the least well understood. Particularly, you look at our creed, right? We've got a lot about the Father, a lot about the Son. You get a little bitty, bitty, bit about the Spirit. Right, just a teeny little, a couple throwaway lines. So how do we see the Spirit based on our passages from Romans and John for this Sunday? I am not going to give you a complete systematic theology on the Spirit today. That would take too long and you all would fall asleep probably. And so what I'm going to do is give you a little building block. right? Just a little bit of what Romans, our passage from Romans, and our passage from the Gospel say about the Spirit and with that, we'll build more upon that through our life together and through your own reading of scripture and theology, and we will develop our theology of the Spirit. Okay, according to Paul, in the book of Romans, in our chapter from Romans, we are at peace with God through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's a message, right, we hear every Sunday. Jesus Christ has reconciled us to the Father through his blood poured out on the cross. This is the starting place according to Paul, for our relationship with the Spirit. Once we have been reconciled to God through Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift. Now, have you ever been given a gift and you opened it and looked at it and wondered what it was? Right? You really want to be a good recipient of that gift and you want to be like, Oh, it's a... What is it? Has that ever happened to you? I once got this spoon in a stocking, right? It was a spoon. And, but it had holes in the bottom, like big holes, not like little holes, like a, tea, like a spoon for tea or something. It had holes in it. And I didn't know if it was a diet spoon or something like that. <laughs> right? 
you know, um, like a Sisyphus spoon or something like that. But there it was. It was the spoon, and it was small, too, small and circular. And I didn't know what to do with this thing. And so I wanted to be really excited about it, but I had no idea what it was for. It was an olive spoon, which I didn't know at the time, right? Because you can scoop the olive up, and then what stays in the jar? All the liquid, all the juice, right? But you get the nice olive, right? There's an olive spoon, which I love olives. It was a great gift. I had no idea what it was. If I hadn't asked, it would have sat in a drawer because I had no idea what to do with it, right? But once I knew what it was for, I was able to use it and use it well and appreciate it. In some ways, the Holy Spirit is a gift like that, too. Not saying the Holy Spirit's an olive spoon, but the Holy Spirit is a gift that we don't necessarily know what to do with sometimes, particularly in the Episcopal Church, right? We don't talk a ton about the Holy Spirit. Other denominations spend a lot of time teaching on the Holy Spirit, but typically we don't, unfortunately. So today we'll be talking about the Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, for starters, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts. Pours God's love into our hearts. The Holy Spirit is like, um, you go to the gas station, you park next to the pump, you pull the nozzle out and stick it in your tank, and the pump forces that gasoline, it pushes it through the hose and into your tank and fills up your car. The Spirit is like that. Because the Spirit is pouring. Not just that he's the nozzle, not just that. He is the entire system that puts the love of God into our hearts. And is this an important function? Yes. We need this. We need this. We need to have the love of God put into our hearts. Because if it depends on us somehow getting it without the Spirit pouring that into our hearts, it's just an impossible task. We can never possibly get enough. No, we need the Spirit to pour God's love into our hearts. And do you hear, like, the abundance of that? It's not trickles. The Spirit doesn't trickle God's love into our hearts or, or intinct or, or uh, titrate or something or, I don't know, like little bitty. It's, it's this abundance of pouring God's love into our hearts. Through this, the gift of the Spirit, we experience God's immense love for us. His immense love. And through his ministry, we can feel loved by God and understand that we are his beloved possession. Right? We are his. Now, switching to the Gospel of John, we see Jesus revealing that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth and that the Holy Spirit will guide the believer into all the truth. Now, to quote Pontius Pilate, what is truth? What is truth? It's okay that you're kind of quiet. I haven't had any service where they just popped off with an answer. It's a hard thing. What is truth, right? What is it? Facts. Okay, good. Facts. There we go. We got some facts. No? What is it? Casting off a falsehood. Yeah, it reveals truth. Yeah. Okay, there we go. What else? You go to court. Right? You stand there before the, the bailiff. Hand on the Bible. Do they still do hand on the Bible? No, hand on something. What do they do? Hand on, what do you do when you're a juror? Raise Just raise their hand. Okay, you raise your hand. And you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and <laughs> truth. And then, uh, used to be, so help me God. I don't know what they say now. 
Right? But what truth are you saying? Sure. Yeah. Sure. So what you saw, right? If you're a witness, you're trying to say what you've seen and witnessed. I'm trying not to color it with your own stuff, but it always does get a little colored with stuff. So then what is like real truth? Yeah. There you go. Your truth, their truth, real truth. So what is the Holy Spirit doing? Your truth, their truth, or real truth? Real truth, right? That's what the Spirit is revealing, is real truth. Because our truth is often colored by our perception, right? We hear a tone in somebody's voice when they say something, and that changes everything about what they say, right? It becomes a different truth than what was said. Right? But the real truth, that's what the Spirit shows. The real truth. And as Christians, we articulate that the truth is God. That he is truth. Uh, John Chrysostom said, all truth points to God. Right? So whenever there is a truth, it points to God in some way. Right? And so we are dealing with the spirit that leads the believer into all truth. The reality that lies beyond beyond reality. It is unshakable, that truth of God. Now, we see this truth clearly revealed in the scriptures, right? Both in their, um, in their, in their um, being composed by those who were inspired by the Spirit to record the scriptures, and also in our reception of them, that we believe them to be truth and to contain all things necessary for salvation. Right? That is one repository of truth, is the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. We can also seek the Spirit for direction in our lives when we seek to pursue the truth, right? To live according to how God calls us to live. The Spirit gives us that and his promises to lead us into all truth. So when we follow the Spirit, we are led into truth. Now that all being said, whenever the Spirit leads us, it is always in accordance with Scripture. Right? The Spirit would not lead us in a way that is contrary to the revealed Word of God. Right? We see interpretations that when the, you know, in that break in the New Testament where we see um, Jesus Christ fulfill the law for us and fulfill the food laws and the ceremonial laws, all that. Right? That is not a break, and that is not the Spirit changing course. Rather, that is Jesus Christ has completed that system, and now we live under a new reality. But for us, as we go through our lives, we trust that when the Spirit reveals himself, it will be in accordance with the Scriptures. And so we are called to test the spirits, right? to test the revelation, to test what we're being led to, and to ensure that it is in accordance with the Scriptures. Because God does not contradict himself. And if it's in contradiction, we trust the scripture. We say, I believe that. We see also that the spirit works in obedience to the father. Just as Jesus said that he only spoke what the father gave him to speak, so also does the spirit only declare what he hears. Jesus tells us that the spirit will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. This obedience is a hallmark of the Son and the Spirit. They are obedient to the Father and follow his direction, even if that direction leads them to the cross. Right? They are faithful to the point of death. That is how 
the Spirit and the Son are characterized is by obedience to the Father. Now, the Spirit also declares things in the future. Jesus says in our Gospel, He will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, this is prophecy, right? We see this uh, when people are given prophetic revelation, wherein they can speak about what is coming in the future. For instance, Joel, when he prophesied about the coming of the Spirit, he didn't know exactly what it was going to mean. He, didn't, he couldn't write a date on Pentecost, but he knew that in the latter days, God would pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. Right? He knew that, and so he prophesied that by the power of the Spirit. And that is, our, the Holy Spirit still does that, still leads people in gifts of prophecy, in words of the Lord that reveal how God is moving and how he is working. We see also that the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He will take what belongs to Jesus and proclaim it to the people. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you, and all that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what is it that God has? Right, because Jesus is saying here, all that the Father has is mine. What does the Father have? Yes, which is shorthand for, or longhand for, everything, right? Everything. And this is what the Spirit does. It speaks of the ownership of God. It speaks of all the things that the Lord possesses and all that he has given us. The Spirit reveals this to us so that we might worship God as Master, Creator, and Lord, Redeemer, Forgiver. Declaring, as this passage, as this verse says, declaring is what God does. That's the business of God. We see that word used over and over again in Scripture in, scripture in relation to God, what He does. Right? We do declare sometimes, especially in the South, right? I do declare. <laughs> right? But declaring in itself, is the work of God, right? He is the one who spoke into nothing and created the heavens and the earth. And here, the Spirit declares what belongs to the Son and to the Father. That is the work of the Spirit, testifying, bearing witness, and speaking to what belongs to God. Now, from our two passage for, passages for today, we see that the Holy Spirit is a gift that is given to those who have received the mercy of Jesus Christ. That the Spirit pours God's love into us. That the Spirit leads believers into all truth. That the Spirit is obedient to the Father. That the Spirit glorifies Jesus and declares what God has. Now, what does all this all mean for us? Well, the same Spirit who is spoken of here is ours as well. Because the Spirit has not been diluted over the last 2,000 years, but is just as present today as on the day of Pentecost. He is God's gift to us. He wants to lead us into truth, to see our lives lived in accordance with the Scriptures, and for us to be obedient to the Father as He Himself is. He wants us to know how deeply loved we are by God and to see us love others out of this belovedness. In some ways, though clearly not in all, the Spirit is like Steph Curry, 
right? Steph works guiding the team, uniting it, showing it the way to go together. He shares, gives gifts to others, blesses them, builds them up. That's what the Spirit does in the church and in our lives. He fills us, guides us, gives us unity, shares gifts with us, and builds us up. This Spirit is ours if we have confessed our sins to Jesus Christ and received his love and mercy. Today, may we receive the Spirit. And may we not just receive him as a gift and put him on a shelf, but may we take the Spirit and ask that God would show us what he has given us in this gift of the Holy Spirit. That he would give us faith to believe that through the power of the Spirit, mountains can be moved, hearts can be changed, lives can be transformed. May we receive this Spirit and be filled with the love of God. And then let us go into this world proclaiming this hope, caring for others, forgiving, confessing, sharing, sacrificing, and loving in the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for the blessing that you have given us in him. Lord God, we confess to you our sin, confess to you our desire to do things our own way, Lord, and to trust in ourselves instead of trusting in you. We pray, Lord God, that you would forgive us, that you would set us free from that bondage, Lord. Set us free so we can serve you with joy in our hearts. Lord God, thank you that you pour your love into our hearts through the Spirit. We pray, Lord God, that we would live in the Spirit, walking according to the way he is calling us to live. Lord God, show us how we can serve in this world. Lord God, may we understand the magnitude of this gift, that you just don't give us a laundry list of things to do and ways to live. Instead, you give us yourself. You give us your spirit who is with us to guide us and to show us what it means to be a Christian in this world. Help us to live sacrificially. Help us to live obediently. Help us to live humbly, Lord, and to serve you and to serve others. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.